Welcome to this Touch podcast activity, which has been recorded for Touch Immunology. This podcast series aims to bring you expert and patient perspectives on the burden and unmet clinical needs associated with Prurigo nodularis, PN, the current and emerging treatment landscape for PN, and the importance of a holistic multidisciplinary approach in establishing optimal treatment and care pathways for patients with PN. This activity is funded by an unrestricted independent medical education grant from Sanofi and Regeneron Pharmaceuticals. This activity is jointly provided by USF Health and Touch IME. In this podcast, two dermatologists and a psychodermatologist discuss the latest developments in the treatment landscape for Prigo nodularis. Hello, my name is Martin Metz and I'm a dermatologist at the Institute of Allergology at the Charité in Berlin, Germany. And I'm joined today by my colleague here in Berlin, Manuel Pereira, also a dermatologist, and uh, Professor Anthony Bewley from the UK, a dermatologist with a special interest in psychodermatology. He's at Barts in London, UK. And in this section, we will discuss the latest development in the treatment landscape for the management of Prurigo nodularis. Um, before we do so, however, Manuel and Anthony, um, I think it's important to talk about what we had so far. Um, I mean, it, there's so much going on now, and it's fantastic for our patients that we got new treatment options, but I do think that we still have to talk about what we had in the past and how this was how this was used. And since, Manuel, you have been an expert on this and have been leading um, the European uh, Perigo, uh group um, maybe you can run us through a little bit on um, what the recommendation of the IFSI were so far. Uh, so the IFSI, the International Federation for the Study of Itch, uh, developed a guideline before uh, there were any approved therapies for, for Perigo nodularis. And uh, the IFSI recommended a stepwise approach, um, starting with uh, topical therapies, with topical corticosteroids or calcineurin inhibitors, and also H1 antihistamines. Um, and the, the next step would be uh, to use a phototherapy or other topicals like capsaicin or uh, intralesional corticosteroids. Uh, there is less evidence for these therapies. Only for the UV therapy, there is evidence in Prurigo. Um, but th that was the second step recommended by, by the IFC. And these first two steps, usually if, if the condition is moderate to severe, don't really are not really enough to treat a patient with Prurigo. Um, and the next step would be um, in, in the stepwise approach, to use uh, systemic um, agents, either uh, systemic immunosuppressants or targeting the inflammation uh, in Prurigo like cyclosporin or metotrexate um, or other drugs that, uh, tar that are antinociceptive that target the itch uh, like gabapentin, pregabalin, uh, but not just gabapentinoids, also antidepressants for instance. Um, and if this, and you could even combine them, you could use a, a, a drug which works mostly anti-inflammatory with a, a drug like abapentin together. Um, and then the guideline also recommends, if, if this all doesn't work, um, other drugs either in clinical trials, uh, at that time they were in clinical trials like uh, nemolizumab, for instance, or dupilumab, which was off-label at that time, um, and also mu opioid receptor antagonists that could also be used offline. But 
the most important message is that really it's a stepwise approach, but you don't re need to follow all the steps, uh, one, two, three, four. You can also start in step three or four if, if the, the disease is severe enough because there was enough experience to say that topicals would not really help in moderate to severe disease. And you know what? What I found so interesting and fascinating that the, I mean, this um, treatment guideline was published in 2020, but um, yeah. there were before in the um, chronic pruritus um, treatment recommendations, there was already also basically this treatment guideline. And um, so it's quite some some years ago that this was implemented. But if you look into how often this was used, and there, there are investigations in Germany, but also in the US, it was, so, so the most important step is the step three, but because as you said that uh, in most patients with moderate to severe disease, and most parietal patients have moderate to severe yes, exactly. disease, um, uh, the, the, the first two are not uh, sufficient. And there are only 1% of patients who received um, uh, gabapentin or antidepressant. Yes. And so, so I mean, patients that just did not, did not get this. And even in specialized centers, many patients are not getting yeah. systemic agents. Uh, and now, we look yeah. also into that. And in our cohort, 10% of the patients said that despite having active disease, they, they, would not, they were not having any therapy at all. Yeah. Um, in the last uh, six months when we did the, the survey. So even in specialized centers, the therapy is often not uh, according to guidelines. Since we know that in the UK, uh, most is done differently. <laughs> Anthony, um, is, it, is it the same in your experience or was it the well, same? That's, yeah, that's right. So I was just going to say that one of the things that we know as well, we've alluded to this in previous discussions that we've had, it's always very important when we have the treatment landscape to, to keep the patient at the center of those decision choices. Also, I think that the IFSI guidelines and the US guidelines and the brewing British guidelines as well are very clear that emollients and making sure that the barrier function of the skin is optimized, and we must never forget that. And then finally, um, always uh, in our treatment algorithms, in our IFSI guidelines and any other guidelines, we are mindful. Um, that the patient may have psychosocial comorbidities. So just listening to the patient is half the battle, just hearing what's going on for them in terms of their psychosocial comorbidities. And if the patient wants to and chooses to, we may offer other support like psychological support or even treatment, you know, medication type support for some of the psychosocial comorbidities. But what is great is that we have got this evolving landscape. Now we've got treatments that work and you know, all too often patients go to their healthcare professional and they're told, well, you know, there's nothing for this. Wrong. There are a lot of things for this. And, you know, we need to get better at making sure that we meet the patient's needs for this really quite debilitating disease. Yeah. But this is so important. I mean, the, the, this has so completely changed end of last year. So it's it's been a year ago that Tupilumab was was approved um, for the treatment of parionodularis. And this really changed um completely the way we deal with uh, parietal patients and so suddenly there is something that really helps i mean before we were able to improve here and there and and now this is this is a true help and it won't stop with uh, dupilumab i mean we we have other drugs that hopefully will come to um, the market soon like mimorizumab the anti il31 um especially, but but also more. But I, I just want to, because we do have experience with um, Dupilumab now for one year and um, also experience on how this made impact on, on our patients. So, so Manuel, we have you some, you have some personal experience. You can uh, yes, we, we are using now a lot Dupilumab 
actually it's a, the drug of choice uh, for moderate to severe pyrigo because it's the only one approved at the moment uh, and it, it really works well but um, I would like to emphasize that in, in some patients it doesn't work so fast so you do need to give time to, for, for the drug and you also need to explain that to the patient at the beginning that it might take a few weeks until um, a substantial effect is seen. In some it works, it works almost immediately but in many uh, they do need some time and, and we know that the effect uh, does improve with time also after a few months it, it, it keeps improving uh, and it's, it's uh, fascinating to see how, how, how these patients do much better with the drug and also how the skin lesions with time get uh, uh, smaller and, and, and smaller every every month and, and uh, at the end you just see the, the, the you just see the scars uh, from the lesions that they had so you can see how many lesions they had and, and how little they have now so it's fascinating to see it but you, you need to give time for the drug to work yeah. uh, well. that's important and the expectation management um, as you said is important i um I, I learned that in the last year because i was i was very optimistic and also told my patients hey there's something that really helps you and then they came back two two months later and said well again didn't help again like all the other drugs that I had in the last 10 years and they were completely devastated um, and then, then you know we discussed together how oh, let's give it a little bit more time and and then suddenly a month later so overall after three months then then they improved and um, uh, really got much much better but um, it, it's so important again to um, have the patient um, involved uh, in um, what you know about the diseases and the treatment and um, uh, have an expectation management that yeah because you don't want to give up on the drug too soon because it, it may yeah. really help after after a while right so from the new stuff what do you think um, the two of you what, what what do you think will come um, I mean there's there's so much going on there's um, drugs that target the uh, neural um, part so uh, opioid um, modulated opioid receptor modulators or cytokine receptors, cytokine blockers. And, but what's well, your I th- idea? I think one, one a central cytokine in, in itch and in Parago is the IL-31. So the, the IL-31 blocker in emilizumab is, is a, it's a drug that has shown also good results in clinical trials and, and I'm sure it will be a, a good option uh, for the future once it gets approved. So we, we are looking forward to, to that drug. One thing, one thing I was going to say, Martin, if I can, is that what I what I do recognize is that patients often cycle through various treatments before they arrive at a treatment that is effective for them. So an awful lot of patients have been through all sorts of treatments or no treatment at all, and they're relatively unhappy by the time they come to us as dermatology healthcare professionals. So it is important to match the patient with the treatment that they choose but the great news is that we have got treatments that work very, very well. And it's the treatment of the itch which is so important. And I think we've alluded to this, haven't we? That the itch is such the central tenet of their experience that if we can control the itch and then control the inflammation and then also control the psychosocial comorbidities, that makes things much better. And sometimes it does take a bit of time, but we do know from experience with um, some of the newer medications, particularly dupilumab and some of the other biologics, that controlling the itch can be so helpful and so useful. And so important. I mean, this is, we, we cannot say this often enough, I think. It's it's all about the itch. 
that the patients suffer from. So, so this is what we need to address in the treatment. It won't help if if it looks better for us to see. You know, as a physician, we can say, "Oh, this is much better," but for the patient, it's only better if the itch is better. So, um, and yeah. one drug that improves itch dramatically in atopic dermatitis are the the JAK inhibitors, um, right. and they're also being investigated for Prurigo. So, what, what do you think will be there? The, yeah, no, super interesting. Disease. And I mean, of course, this also addresses the cytokines and cytokine receptor signaling. Um, so it makes perfect sense that um, it uh, it also will also work in, in Perigo. And I'm very much looking forward to uh, the first results of the clinical trials because there are clinical trials with several JEC1 um, uh, inhibitors. So this this will be very interesting. The one thing that we have to keep in mind is that we have rather old patients with high rate of comorbidities. So we have to have um, a very safe drug uh, in these patients. I I do think that the, the uh, modern JAK inhibitors are safe drugs, but we, we need to have the data also in this specific population. So we have to look into this. But otherwise, regarding especially regarding the fast um, uh, effect on itch and the overall effect on itch, I, I think... Um, Jack inhibitors will be interesting in, in Perigo for sure. What I was going to say as well, if I can, is that what's great is that we have got an evolving treatment landscape. So we have got medications Choices. further down that step-up, step-down approach that we can use, uh, but also we have got an evolving treatment landscape. So for our patients, the important message is please don't suffer in silence. Please don't just stay at home or don't stay with treatments that aren't working you know, speak to your healthcare professional and get the treatment that's right for you. These are the best words to end this discussion. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this Touch podcast. Don't forget there are two other chapters in this series, so please listen in for further insights from the multidisciplinary team. You can access more content on dermatological conditions, including a parigonodularis-focused touch panel discussion with Professor Sonia Stander, Dr. Sean Quatre and Professor Matthias Augustin on touch immunology at www.touchimmunology.com.